Well, howdy, y'all. Not just Louisiana, straight out of New Orleans, darling. And it's destiny. The saints are God's team. That's why they're called the saints. And they have suffered persecution long enough, and he will glorify them on the Super Bowl today. In the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. And I, I, told, I have a, my brother got me a Saints football helmet for Christmas, and I didn't know you guys good enough. I was going to wear it to preach in the day. I didn't want to scare you too bad. But man, it is great to be here. It's always good just to be with God's people. And, um, you know, the, the name of the, ser- the sermon today is called Get Real. And uh, let's just be real. Dave loves me, but that sucker won't be here at 11 o'clock because he's sneaking out to a Super Bowl party. In fact, I just saw him walk out the back door. And I've, I've got a little bit of a man crush on Dave, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm really training my kids when they grow up to be just like Dave, but um, help me ac- hold him accountable today that I love him enough to preach here when the Saints are in the Super Bowl, but I love him enough to keep him here with me until the service is over. All right, so help me hold him accountable. But man, it's, it's awesome to be here, and I really do, man. I love Dave. From the moment we met, we just clicked. We hit it off. And the thing that I love most about Dave is that Dave is just real. You get, you get what you get with Dave. Um, it's not this erratic relationship. When I, even when Dave is you know, kind of down in the dumps and God, like all of us in ministry, has taken Dave through some crazy seasons here in the last five years. Uh, but when Dave is on a high and when Dave is low, Dave, you, just, you always know what you're going to get. He's just a guy who's real, a guy that loves God, and a guy that understands his purpose and just is focused on living that out. And to me, man, that's awesome because I don't know about you, but I have one too many schizophrenic relationships in my life. (laughs) Anybody else? You know, you might be married to me. (laughs) Uh, It might be your kids. It might be your coworkers. It could be your pastor. Who knows? But I just, I'm scared of those relationships that you kind of have to walk on eggshells for the first 30 seconds of every conversation because you're really not sure who you're going to get. And you know what? That just kind of wears me out. Let's just be real here. Um, And it's one of the reasons that I love Dave. It's just because you get what you get. And I have to be honest. When Dave asked me to come and share my heart today, um, what, what I'd like to share with you is what God has done in me as far as transitioning from religion to a real relationship with God. And one of the things that God broke my heart on Um, pretty early on in my walk, is that I was the schizophrenic counterpart in our relationship. You know, God is not schizophrenic. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, God is always going to be God. He's always going to act like God acts. And a lot of times I found myself pointing my finger at God because he's such a great scapegoat, right? Because he never yells back. Um, and I, I, God really put it on my heart and showed me that I was the schizophrenic one in my relationship. I was the guy um, who wasn't doing the right things. I was the guy who wasn't acting in a way that could make our relationship healthy. Um, and I just got to that point, to be honest with you, that and I was sick of puppy love. I was sick of just puppy love with God, like uh, the only time that I could relate to him is when I had the goosebumps. I was sick of this very shallow relationship where I only invested in God's things when I needed something in return, or I scheduled God at this part of my day to be in, and then the rest of the day was for me. Uh, I was just sick of that because it wore me out, and I know this for a fact, God was just as sick of it as I was. And so I really just kind of threw my hands up and said, God, I'm done with this. I want to be all in all the time, uh, and I need you to show me what I need to change about me 
to relieve this burden of religion, to get me off of this emotional roller coaster that I have with you all the time because I'm just done with it. It just wore me out. And really what I want to share with you guys today is just a few simple things that God did with me in my life. And he told me to sit down and shut up like a good dad does when we're out of line and says, if you would just sit down and shut up and listen to me, I'm going to show you some things that you need to do so that we can grow and go forward together. And if you would, uh, let's just bow one more time and pray before, uh, before we start. Father, thank you for these people. Uh, thank you for Dave. Uh, thank you for K2, the church. Uh, it's just good to be with God's people. It's the same spirit here that's in me, uh, that's at the Genesis Project, and I just feel at home uh, because you're here. When two or three are gathered, you're here amongst us. So, Father, we welcome you into this place today and just hope that you're honored uh, about uh, with everything that's said and done here because we offer it as a sacrifice of praise and worship to you. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, there was a time when I was really young, and I grew up in, in Louisiana. We don't have counties, we have parishes. And every year they had a parish fair. Uh, and I lived in St. Tammany Parish, which is about 30 miles north of New Orleans. Um, and I just remember this very specifically is that the, the parish fair came to town. And it was one of those carnivals that was really just like the freaky carnival with the, the big fat bearded lady and uh, the guy who was blowing fire and the guy swallowing swords and all the games and the funnel cakes. You know, what's better than fried bread with sugar on it? Right? And in Louisiana, we fry our Fruit Loops. Everything, you can fry it, you just fry it. But I mean, the carnival was just like this amazing atmosphere. And I remember as a young kid, probably somewhere between six and eight years old, that my dad took us and we we're running around and just with the, the lights and, and all the different activities going on and the music and the food and the smells, you, your senses are just kind of overwhelmed with the things that go on in the carnival. And I remember it was just this most exciting thing that I had ever seen. I'd never witnessed anything like all this going on in one place. And I was just enamored and literally taken away by it. And about halfway through the day, I remember looking up and recognizing that my parents weren't there anymore. And really, all of this, this fun and exuberance and excitement, all the things that I was enamored with, really faded away quickly and fear set in. Uh, because I recognized, wow, I'm out here all on my own. And, you know, it's kind of like being a, a short guy in an elevator. You know, nothing good can happen because your, your view is everybody's butts. And, you know, people are kind of running over you. I'm just like this little guy. And, and now all the music and stuff that enamored me was so loud that I couldn't communicate. As I'm screaming out for my dad, people couldn't hear me. And people are walking by and I'm bumping into people. And I just get this fear and I'm overwhelmed and I remember very specifically going to find a corner behind a booth and I just kind of sat down and I cried and I was scared and I recognized how small I was. I recognized that I didn't have the intelligence or the plan or the understanding to get myself out. And I, I started to think all kind of crazy things. Maybe, you know, when I flushed my sister's toothbrush down the toilet and maybe my dad brought me to the carnival to just leave me here with these crazy people and and he's not coming back to get me, and oh, what have I done? And just sitting there and being distraught, I remember hearing my dad's voice. He was calling, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. And they call, you know, parents use your whole name, Jeffrey Michael Hummel, the whole thing. So I knew I was in trouble. Um, but man, I, I remember the joy and the excitement of hearing my dad's voice, and I stood up, and I began running towards it. And my dad's a tall guy, and he's got white hair, 
And I saw my dad in the distance, and man, I ran through and I found him. And I just remember clutching onto him with everything I had, and I wasn't going to let go. And the first thing he asked me, he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, dad, I'm fine. I was just scared. And he said, man, so you scared me, son. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And then I'll never forget this, is my dad picked me up and he put me on his shoulders. And then I was like, yeah. (laughs) I I wasn't scared at all. I was like, okay, who's the man now? Because my dad's tall. And I just remember kind of puffing my chest out and just taking this big sigh of relief. And you know, honestly, that whole thing probably transpired over 15 minutes. And it seemed like a lifetime. But I remember riding on my dad's shoulder and being up there and being to see everything clear and and beginning to see that there was nothing to fear as long as I was with my dad because it was going to be okay. And really something transitioned in my life that day with my relationship with my dad. He really became my daddy. He wasn't just my father anymore. He wasn't the guy that you pulled on his shirt sleeve when you were at the movies because he had the green stuff. (laughs) He wasn't the guy that was out just working so that we could have a meal or or a place to lay our head. Really that day he became my daddy and there was a new relationship, a new respect, a new trust that I had there. And man, let me tell you, that is the relationship that God wants to have with you. God doesn't want to just be your provider. He doesn't want to just be your father. He wants to be your daddy. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out not to uh, Yahweh, but to my Abba father, my daddy, when he was hurting, do I really have to go through with this? Is there anything you can do? Can you save me from this? And man, I just see in my own walk, that's how God responds to us best. When we're in that real daddy-son relationship is when everything else just starts making sense. And I want to read this verse to you out of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this. It says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And man, the, the thing that really rings true with me in that verse is the first part. It says, be careful how you live because the days are evil. And really, it's the same thing with that carnival. It, it all seemed fun for a while, and I wasn't careful, and I got drawn into it, and all of a sudden, I was in this scary place because I wasn't careful of how I was, how I was operating, how I was living at that point. It also says this, not, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And you see, foolishness is not stupidity. Stupidity is not having the mental capability to make a right decision. You know, and we we use that as a derogatory word, but literally it means that I'm not mentally capable of performing this transaction because my mental capacity is not there. Foolishness is not ignorance because ignorance is not having the right information to make a good decision. But foolishness is knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. And really, that's what God is calling us to in the relationship is that he doesn't want us just to, he doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be stupid. But when he tells us the right thing, he wants us to follow it. And really, that's wisdom. If we know what God is saying to do and we can live in that and breathe in that and follow that, everything else starts to fall in place. And really, this is what God was telling me about my foolishness. 
because I really knew a lot of the right things, but just choose or chose not to do them. And really the first thing that God showed me was this, is God told me, Jeff, you need to get real by being who you say you are. Because let me tell you, even in religion, we can say that we're a lot of things to pump our own ego up, even in church, even as a pastor. Um, we like to set this standard of who we are. So people aspire to us, they come to us, they want to be like this. I guess a good example is this. My co-pastor and I, Matt, were out playing golf one day, and there was just two of us, and they put us on the tee box, and we stepped up, and there was this guy who was like decked out with all the stuff. Like his clubs cost more than my car. He had on the perfectly shined shoes, all the little vest and the beanie. And we were like, we're just hackers. And we told the guy, you know what? You might just want to go ahead. You might not want to stay around with us. He's like, no, no, it'll be fine. And so I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy is going to drill us, and I'm going to be embarrassed. And so he gets up on the tee box and shanks it right into the woods. And so I felt a little better about myself for a moment. And then he got up on the tee box again. Oh, he says, oh, I never do that. And then he swings, pow, and then hooks it right into the trees. Oh, man, I never do that. I don't know what's wrong with me today. And we're like, oh, you know, it's probably just us, our bad aura, like rubbing off on you or something. <laughs> but the whole day, I mean, this guy shot like 95 on the front nine. And the whole time he's saying, oh, I never do that. I don't know. I got crick in my back or my butt hurts or whatever it was. <laughs> and really, it's just, it, it became sad. Because what the guy had done, had dressed up to play the part and had everything looking right, but couldn't live up to this standard that he had really set for himself. And you know what? That's what God was telling me about me. Jeff, quit playing the part. Because you know what? I'm good at playing the part. But when it's put up or shut up time, we end up letting other people down. We end up screwing up our own lives because we set the standard in people's eyes that they think that we can live up to, and then they entrust us with their problems or with whatever they have going on, and then we're not even equipped to do anything about it. And the first thing that God had to do in me was saying, get rid of your pride. And don't get me wrong, I'm probably the most humble man in this entire room. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. He had to get rid of my pride. He had to humble me and say, quit playing the part. Just be Jeff. I've made you Jeff for a reason. I'm going to use you as Jeff. And as soon as you quit pretending to be all these other things, you're going to be a whole lot more useful to me. And it reminded me of this verse in Mark chapter 11. This is when Jesus had actually just uh, cleansed the temple. And he said, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, talking about Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard this. Later on, as you read on in the passage, it says they come back and the tree was withered and destroyed because Jesus had cursed it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, wait a second. If Jesus just threw a hissy fit and, and he was angry because he was hungry and didn't get any figs and cursed that tree, that might be a sin and I might be in trouble. <laughs> Because if Jesus wasn't perfect, I'm screwed. Because he's the only thing perfect about me. But again, you've you got to take these verses in context. And I start reading it, and what I recognize is he had just cleansed the temple. You see, and the temple was made for a purpose, 
It was made for a reason. It was made to worship and bring glory to God, but they were selling the sacrifices to people so they could make a profit on God. They were doing horrible things in the temple that it was never meant for, and Jesus cleansed it. It was acting in a way that it wasn't made to act. And then he comes upon this fig tree, and he said he knew it wasn't fig season, so how could he be angry if it didn't have figs? But the reason why is it because it had leaves. And really what it was doing was saying, look at my leaves, look at me. But if we're saying, look at my leaves and look at me, and there's no fruit in our life, just like there was no fruit in the temple, true fruit, because they were using it for something that it wasn't supposed to be used for. God can't bless us. See, that's about religion. It's about us. It's about pride. It's not about humility. It's about, look at my leaves. And Jesus is saying, where's the fruit? Don't stand there and say, this is what I am, if you are not willing to live the life that goes along with that. So he said, Jeff, quit playing the part. Be who I've called you to be. Only do the things that I've entrusted you to do. Simplify your life, and then I can use you. Does that make sense? And, so, and again, I'm not throwing rocks because I'm talking about me here. This is what God has done in my life. And the first thing was to get real by being who you say you are. The second thing was this, is that God told me when I did my prayer and my scheduled times when I went to God, you know, God was scheduled to pray. I was pray to him at this time and that times. God told me, quit telling me all the things that you think I want to hear. Quit telling me what you think I want to hear. So God says to get real when we are talking to him. Get real when you're talking to God. There's a story that's told about a little boy who really was window shopping with his mom, and he saw this bike, and man, he just desperately, desperately wanted the bike. And he couldn't stop thinking about it, and the way home, his, his family kind of lived with him, and he's walking through the living room, and his grandma was in there watching church on TV, and it was really high church. You know, they had very ornate robes, and, and the incense, and lots of Gregorian chants, and he was enamored by it, and he, so he kind of stopped and watched, and he saw the priest raise his hands and begin to pray, and so he watched him. He goes, oh, that is how I get a hold of God. So he went into his room and he shut the door and he put on his best, best, Elmer Fudd, one more time, his best bathrobe, the most colorful one he could find. And he stood up on the bed and he sprayed some Febreze. <laughs> and he put his arms out to the side. And he said, I beseech you, Alpha and Omega, by the blood of the cross in Jesus Christ, to bestow on unto me, in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Schwinn, the red bicycle that I so desire. Amen. And he got off of his bed, and he went to bed anxious that night, and he woke up the next morning, and as he went outside, much to his dismay, no bicycle. And he said, man, how did I miss that? Later on that day, he came back, and it was his aunt in the room watching TV, and she was watching a very different kind of church, a lot more high energy and the coffee and the music and this very good-looking pastor up there, a young guy, filled this stadium-sized church, and he said, Jesus, I know that you want me to have these things, and so I just pray and claim it by faith that you are going to give me what I want because that is your job, Hallelujah. And so the little boy said, oh, that's how it works. And so he went and locked himself in the room and he said, Jesus, 
I know since the beginning of time you made that bicycle exactly for me. And so right now, by faith, I claim that bicycle because it's your job to bless me, and I believe that and claim that in Jesus' name. And again, much to his dismay, he woke up the next morning and outside and no bicycle. And so, man, he is frustrated at this point in time, and he's walking around in the front yard, and he's kicking rocks, and he looks over to his neighbor's house, and he sees the Virgin Mary in the fountain, this nice, beautiful statue. And so he takes off full speed, and he grabs the statue and heads off into the woods. And his mom is kind of watching him out the window, thinking, this is a little strange. My son is hijacking the Virgin Mary. (laughs) And so he comes in a few minutes later in no Virgin Mary, and he kind of just walks into his bedroom and shuts the door. And so his mom follows him closely and she opens it up and peeks in and she sees him kneel down at the side of his bed and he says, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. You will bring me this bicycle. Amen. You know, it's, it's funny, right? But don't we do the same thing? We try to negotiate with God. We try to find this formula on what to say, how to say it, when to say it, how many times to say it. We use big words. We use fancy words. We use low rent words. Whatever we can do, and we'll keep doing it until the point we just almost threaten God. God, if you don't bless me, I'm quitting. I'm not going to church anymore. You're not real because you're not giving me what I want. And really what God wants is just for us to talk to him. Let me tell you, there's no formula, there's no amount of words, there's no type of words. In fact, the more we fall into that trap, the more it dishonors God. And don't believe me because I say I believe it because it's what the Bible says in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by all men. I tell you the truth that they have received their reward in full. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, that last part's a little strange, right? If He knows what I need before I ask Him, why don't He just give it to me? (laughs) People ask all the time when we talk about the Trinity, if Jesus was God, why did He have to pray to God? You know, because He was trying to show us what to do. It says in Philippians that Jesus for a time kind of unzipped and took off his godness, his godhood, so that he could understand what it was like to live like you and I and to communicate with God. And man, if you just follow the life of Christ, you see him really talking to daddy. Like we said before at the Garden of Gethsemane, daddy, I I can't believe I've got to do this and I'm scared. And is there any way that you can take this away from me? I need your help right now. You know, that wasn't a very liturgical, crazy kind of prayer. It was a son talking to his daddy when he was scared. And man, that's what God wants. God doesn't need you to talk to him for him to understand where you're at or what you need or even what you want. God just wants to talk to you. I mean, we've been given this gift of prayer that through the power of our spirit, we can communicate with the creator of the heavens and the earth. What a gift. And God is sitting there desperately in heaven just waiting for us to talk to him. And I think I know even in my own life, I take that for granted a lot of times that we have this connection to the God of all creation. And then sometimes when we use it, we just get all stupid trying to say big words and long words. And by the end, you don't even know what just happened, but you can check your prayer box off. But you know what? God just wants to talk to you. Imagine the relationships that you are in. 
The better your communication, the better the relationship. The less the communication, the less understanding. Or when somebody comes up to you and you can just see they have an agenda and you're not even listening to what they say because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? You're like, when we get to the end of this, they're asking me for something. And sometimes we treat God like that, like he's the great cosmic vending machine in the sky that we go and we put in our prayer and we yank the handle and we just expect because he's God that he's held hostage to give us what we ask for. And really that's not what God wants. God wants to talk to his child. God wants to hear about where you're hurting. He wants you to be real because you can't trick God into thinking you're in a place that you're not. You can't trick him into thinking that you're in a good mood when you're really ticked off. You can't trick him into thinking that you're really in a good place when you're really not. He knows what you need before you even ask it. So just get real when you're talking to God. David did it. Man, have you read the Psalms? Jesus wasn't the first one to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. When David was saying, God, I've done everything you've asked me to do, and now my enemies have overtaken my camp. They've killed the women. They've killed the children. They destroyed me. What is up with this? And I love that about David. He could just get real. And God said about David in the midst of his adultery and his murder and his anger that he was a man after God's own heart. It's because David was just real with God. But God, I've sinned against you and you alone, and I need you to forgive me. Please don't remove your spirit from me. Please give me the power to get back into this relationship with you and live the way I know I'm supposed to live. And man, when, when a son goes to his father with that, I mean, think about that in your own relationship. Man, of course you're going to bless that. And that's the way that God really wants us to talk to him, not in this liturgical prayer language. And the last thing is this, is that God wants us to get real involved in the relationship. Because let me tell you, especially as a pastor, you can get so caught up in doing ministry and doing church that you completely miss a relationship with God. When I went to seminary, I remember my pastor telling me it's like trying to get a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. There's going to be so much information coming out, you're barely going to be able to soak any in. And I remember that specifically. I was just overwhelmed by it. Uh, and we can get so busy in studying about God or so overwhelmed by it that we completely miss God. We can get so busy doing the work of the church and doing ministry that we get in this routine that completely cuts God out of the picture. I, I watched the Titanic again for about five minutes because if I'm being real today, I, that's, I hate that movie. It's like, it's going to sink. <laughs> and I don't know about you, when I watch a movie, I want to do like, there's hope of a happy ending. There was nothing good that was going to come out of that movie. Um, and yeah, I won't go any further on that. But I, it, it brought this question to my mind, how was that ship supposed to be unsinkable? You know, because that didn't work out real well. And so I did a little bit of studying, and, and the engineering behind it actually made sense, is that they took the hull of the Titanic and they split it down the middle, and then they cut it into about 16 separate compartments. And the thinking was that if something jammed through one of the sides, that only that compartment would fill up, and the buoyancy of the rest of the compartments would be enough to keep the ship afloat. I said, huh, well, that made sense, but uh, that didn't work out real good. What happened is when the iceberg hit it, it ripped through two compartments, and it filled up so fast that it overwhelmed the, the tensile strength of the rest of the compartments, and they collapsed and the ship went down. But don't we do the same thing with our life with God? Is that we try to compartmentalize. That we, we think we're doing real well when we say, God, I'm going to give you this part, I'm going to give you this prayer time, I'm going to give you this service time. And then we think in the rest of our life, 
we can get, and whatever it is, you know, we're good at, at doing bad things justified because our American culture says it's okay. Our American culture says it's great to work 80 hours a week because you're a hard worker and we're supposed to provide. But you know, what about our family and our kids at home? What are we setting up for the future? You know, this new stuff that I see all the kids smoking, Black Mamba, it's legal, it's sold as incense, but you can smoke it and get high. And it's legal, so they, that's their justification. Well, it's legal. And they smoke it and they get high and people are dying from it and they're entering into this lifestyle of just being high again. But then they'll come to church on Sunday and, and lift their hands and worship and pray. But it just doesn't work that way. Because what's going to happen in those compartments of our life that we try to keep God out of, they get overwhelmed with water and they break down and then it affects the rest of your life. Now, we all have that room in our house, right? When company comes over, you just cram all the stuff in there and shut the door. You've got that room. Let me tell you what God wants to do. When God comes knocking at the door, that's the first room he's going to. And you're going to stand in front of it and you're going to say, hey, God, you know, we've got some Triscuits and cheese in the kitchen. We've got some nice wine, some Jesus wine over here. We you sit on the couch. And he's going to say, no, what's in there? Oh, there's nothing in there. You don't want to go in there. But you know what? That's exactly where Jesus wants to go. It's exactly where God wants to go because he doesn't want to get in there to expose it and to say, nana, nana, boo, boo, or shame on you, or how dare you. He knows that if he doesn't clean that stuff up, that one compartment of our life is going to wreck the rest of our relationship. And it says it here. Listen here in Revelation uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 5. And Mike, I'm closing if you guys want to come up. Um, It says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have preserved, excuse me, persevered, and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, I read that verse and I think, wow, you know, reading the first part, it seems like they were on track. I know your deeds. They had hard work, perseverance. They didn't tolerate wicked men, tested those to be apostles to find them false, uh, persevered, endured hardships for my name, doing all the right things doing all the religious things, maybe doing all the churchy things, maybe just working real hard. But this is what I hold against you, Jesus says, that you have forsaken the first love, the love that you have when you first believed. And I don't know about you, when somebody shared the gospel with me for the first time, I was like, whew, I don't have to go to hell. That is good news. I'm glad somebody shared, because I went to church for 27 years where they told me, dude, you are going to hell. In Jesus' name, peace be with you. And, and I just figured, you know what? If I'm going to hell, I'm going in flames. I'm a party like a rock star until it's time to face the music. But man, I heard the gospel. It's like, wait a second, I don't have to go to hell? You know that I can't get it all right? You know that I'm a sinner? That's what I've been telling them. I've been saying that. They wouldn't listen to me. But you know, we should always strive towards perfection. We should always strive towards righteousness. But I just remembered that first love, that puppy love, the goosebumps. It's like, yes, I am in. And there was just this undying gratitude. I, was, I couldn't shut up about Jesus for the first six months. I was like, dude, you're not going to believe this. You don't have to go to hell. 
You don't have to go. And people are looking at me like, you have lost your freaking mind. It's like, yeah, but do you understand? You don't have to go to hell. You can be with Jesus. And I just remember that. But then you know what? As life goes on, you get caught up in the, the doctrine and the theology and the legalism and all the things that go along with it. And even though from an outsider's perspective, everything looks okay, we've lost that, that first love. And once we lose that first love, it's not the real relationship anymore. It's like the first love you have with your wife. You know, when you first get married and you realize your parents aren't there and you have the house to yourself, right? You can do the naked Olympics and nobody can, <laughs> can yell at you. Man, it was fun. But then you go on with life and kids and work and jobs and tuition and it's like, ugh. And you end up being roommates and you're doing all the right righteous things. But God's saying, but yeah, what about that time when we would just sit alone and talk and hold hands and, and you just talk to me and I want to spend time with you. And man, that was something that God just even recently planting this church that God had to do in my heart. It's Jeff, slow down. Quit working so hard. What about when we first fell in love? What about when you just sat and thought about how good I was and that I changed your life? Man, that's huge. And if we're going to do it, we need to get real involved with the relationship with God and not compartmentalize. But man, we can't let that become the thing that keeps us apart from God as well. And I'll just close today by telling you guys this. I don't know where you're at. It doesn't really matter to me. Uh, I hope that this kind of story from what God is doing in me can be a blessing to you. But I just want you to understand this, is that we don't find God, okay? God is not missing. It's not like I found God behind a bush one day and said, where have you been, dude? Everybody's looking for you. Would you come out, please? You know how many people are looking for you? God found me. You know, I was the kid lost at the carnival. I was the kid enamored by the shiny lights and the bearded lady and the sword swallower and the fire thrower and spent my time running towards shiny things and running away from God. But God found me. My daddy came looking for me. My daddy was scared because he knew I was running away. And let me tell you, you don't have to have it all figured out. And I know, man, I love Dave Nelson. I love this church. I love his heart. Because Dave's heart is to put you guys in a real relationship with God. And the cool thing is you don't have to have it all figured out to make a decision that you want to be in a relationship with a daddy God and not a judgmental, I'm going to kill you when you screw up God. That if, you can, if, you're, if you're lost, man, and, and it can look like anything, it can look like work or job or religion or who knows what it is, but find that quiet place and sit down Turn the world off, and I promise you in the name of Jesus, you're going to hear your daddy calling for you. And if you run towards him, he's going to pick you up, and he's going to put you on his shoulders, and the whole world is going to look different. And I just really want to leave you with that thought today, is that if you are pursuing religion, if you are pursuing, pursuing rules, if you're trying to do stuff that God will love you, you're missing it. You're missing it. We're never going to be good enough, but God still loves us. God still pursues us. God still wants to be in a relationship with us. And so, man, quit trying to live up to whatever status the world has set for you, that they said you have to be this for anybody to love you. Man, that's a load of garbage. Well, you know, in my own life, I tried to elevate weaknesses because it was the standard the world has set for me. And God said, dude, you just be... God always calls me dude. He says, you just be who I've called you to be and quit trying to be everything else. He said, Jeff, 
quit trying to fool me into how holy you are by telling me things you think I want to hear. Because I know your heart. I know where you're at. I know you're angry. I know your faith is struggling right now. I know that you really don't believe these things that you're praying. You know, if you would just tell me that, I can show you the truth. Just get real in how you talk to God. And then the last thing is just know that God wants you really involved with him on a personal puppy love basis, but also every aspect of your life. Because when I prayed my salvation prayer, I prayed to God that he would not make me hang out with Christians. And that's the honest to God truth. Christians are the worst thing that's ever happened to Christianity. And uh, uh, Gandhi said it. Hold me accountable, Navid, if I say this wrong. He said, I love your Jesus, but your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And that's the truth. God wants all of you. You know what? When God put me around a group of people who were followers of him but not cultural Christians, it was very easy for me to invite the rest of my life into that circle because these were cool people. They were real. And we could be real together. And we can drag God into every aspect of our life. I guarantee you, I'm going to pray over the Saints game with 10 believers in Christ today. And not, I, I'm being honest, all right? Uh, there'll be some people there drinking beers. We're going to barbecue. We're going to hang out. Uh, and I guarantee you, before the game starts, we're going to stand there and hold hands and pray and just thank God that he can, you know, what a cool thing that we can be here and celebrate together today. And I'm not scared of that. Because when you drag God into every aspect of your life, man, that's when he is going to take you on that adventure that Dave talks about. An adventure with God like anything unlike anything you've ever been a part of. And I lived under the hammer of religion for 27 years uh, until God broke my heart. And I was the schizophrenic person in the relationship. And let me tell you, if you can just do these simple things and ask God to be real in your relationship, he's going to change everything that you ever thought about him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, uh, pray for us as we close. Father God, uh, thank you. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. Thank you for chasing after me when I was lost. Thank you for ripping religion away from me and being my daddy. I don't ever want to go back. I just love you, Father, and I'm so grateful for guys like Dave and just the, the blessing that it is to be around other people who get it, who can be real. I'm so, I was so sick of pretending. Thank you that you are a real God, a living God that's in heaven and wants to be a part of our everyday life. Father, dump out your favor on this church, on Dave's ministry, on his family, uh, to people that are hurting in here today who may have come from an abusive or abandoning relationship with their mom and dad. Uh, Father, that breaks my heart, but the good news is that you want to be the greatest daddy they ever had. And Father, I just pray that you would drag them into that relationship, chase after them, don't let them go. Show them what it means to be in a relationship with the living and loving God. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this privilege and honor today to share with your people. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.